Welcome to AACS Today, the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. Welcome to episode number three of AACS Today. AACS Today is the podcast home of the American Association of Christian Schools. On the podcast, we're tackling questions that you're wrestling with right now as a leader in a Christian school. I'm Matt Tiscus, a regional director for the AACS, and I want to thank you for listening. We're on episode three, and in these first three episodes, we've been trying to answer some of the big questions that we're receiving in our office as it relates to the impact that the coronavirus is having on Christian schools. In episode one, we talked with our executive director, Jeff Walton, about tuition collection during a school closure. Episode two was with Legislative Director Jameson Coppola, who enlightened us on new pieces of legislation and their impact on our schools. But today we're going to turn our attention to another big question we've been fielding. How do we best serve pre-K students in, and their families during a time of distance learning possibly? Or do we need to close our facility? Should our facility stay open? So we're going to tackle some of those questions as we get into the podcast today. So we have a panel joining us on the podcast. I'm going to introduce the panel, and then I'm going to jump right in to the questions. Uh, Edward Earwood is with us. Edward is the executive director of the South Carolina Association of Christian Schools. Dr. Kathy Dotson is also with us. Dr. Dotson is the preschool and elementary principal at Wilmington Christian Academy. Steve Cummings is head of school at Athens Christian School and legal counsel for the American Association of Christian Schools. And Dr. Jeff Walton is the executive director of the AACS, joining us again here on episode three of AACS today. So we've really got four things that we're going to try and cover. And so let's jump in. And I want to go to uh, Edward Earwood first. Uh, Edward, things are very different state by state, community by community when it comes to uh, pre-K's staying open, staying closed. Uh, what are you seeing in South Carolina? And of course, you're very connected to the Christian school world and private school world. Uh, what are you hearing from around the country? Well, I'll talk uh, specifically uh, to South Carolina first, because I know that child care uh, varies so much from state to state. Uh, in our state, child care is addressed as everything under K4, K4 and under. And uh, specifically, as it relates to our schools, primarily K-4 and K-3, uh, our schools are viewed as K-5 through 12. So when our schools chose to follow the uh, governor's request for schools to close, uh, K-5 through 12 closed. Uh, a new caveat for us was that K-4s, uh, now operated by some of our public schools, also closed. And so that was the pre-K portion that the public sector closed. So many of our folks then were kind of in limbo. Uh, our K-4 is under Department of Social Services, and it's also viewed by some as part of a school. And so it, it was kind of a, uh, um, a sticky subject for a day or two. But the long and short of it is that uh, the Department of Social Services, even though our K-3s and K-4s primarily are part of our educational program, uh, they view them as the part of social services that is pre-K. And uh, so the large majority of K-4 down in our state remains open, not just the religious schools, but also 
of the licensed centers. Um, I think the last numbers I saw, somewhere north of 75% of those were still functional. Obviously, many of them have had to downsize their operation because you don't have the needs that the parents had because many of the parents are confined to their homes and they would just prefer to have their children at home with them. And so well, we've had to make some adjustments. I think primarily the adjustments that have been made have been good and have uh, operated rather smoothly. Uh, most of our centers are operating on reduced, uh, I would say reduced schedules. Uh, some of them have been able to close a little early because they don't have the demand as late in the afternoon. Right. Others have made adjustments to uh, their learning platforms. Uh, some are, um, I would say most are even continuing to provide uh, learning uh, for their for their students and in anticipation of, you know, being able to start their program back uh, full board. Uh, I think that has been the, the, the primary adjustment. Obviously, there's been some frustration because uh, they all realize that it's much more difficult to adapt the learning for early childhood than it is for somebody who's got, you know, full, full reading skills. And uh, so there, there's been some, you know, some frustration, I think not only to parents and to uh, teachers, but uh, I think all in all, they've adapted pretty well. Yeah. Edward, have you heard, I know in some states, um, some states are, are changing regulations and guidelines related to staff child ratios or um, even states that weren't um, uh, that uh, where where a ministry may not have been a daycare, the states are asking them to actually open uh, as a daycare because there's such a need for childcare. Have you heard or seen anything like that in South Carolina? Actually, you can go to the Department of Social Services website in our state, and they will tell you how to get up and running. It many times is short of 24 hours. A childcare. Uh, a licensed child care that you can get a license for up to 30 days. Now, one of the things I've encouraged some of ours to do is one of the big challenges for people that wanted to go that route has been the background checks. But all of our teachers in our schools have already been background checked. And so that, that gives us a, a leg up, so to speak, uh, in being able to make some adaptation and things that, uh, might otherwise be more challenging. And one of the things that I've been talking to our leaders, they've noted that one of the, one of the good things about dealing with Christian schools is that we're a bit more nimble than, uh, than some just because in, in their, in their eyes, we're just so much smaller and it gives us some nimbleness. And so I've just tried to encourage our, uh, people to, to think that way. You, you take and use to your advantage what, even other people recognize as an advantage. Yeah, that's excellent. And I think a point that we want to emphasize is that this is a state-by-state, state, many times a community-by-community community, uh, answer. So it, it's not that we can give one specific answer for what's happening maybe in one of our listeners' communities. Right. And they need to be in contact with their local authorities. But um, I think one of the points is don't just assume that you you have to close. There may be opportunities to keep your uh, pre-K portion of your program open, but again, it's a community by community thing. Uh, One thing I would oh, say is this, we get a call. Uh, my office was getting calls, but a lot of our, uh, a lot of our centers 
were called several times last week and already again this week asking them could, if they could expand. So uh, talk to talk to the local authorities, and many of them will be very happy to work with you. Great. Thanks, Edward. Let's move on to the second part of what we wanted to discuss today, and that is this. If you, if you have to close, um, what do you do about your tuition? And so, Dr. Walton, um, what, are, what are your thoughts about that? Because it is hard to justify tuition in these circumstances if the building is closed for pre-K students. So help us, help us think through this. Yeah, so precisely, Matt, this is a really difficult uh, area. If you have to close, uh, the best advice that uh, I am able to give from my research on this in the last couple of weeks is to suspend or to severely discount tuition. It's hard to justify tuition when parents are providing all of the supervision at this age. Uh, generally, they don't see pre-K as education. They see it as child care, sometimes with an education component, but they primarily see it as child care. Um, when you're talking about K-5 through 12, parents are paying primarily for education. In pre-K, parents are pay paying primarily for supervision, and you're going to have to suspend or significantly discount fees. I communicated yesterday with an administrator in the Washington, D.C. area who said that their K-3 and K-4 teachers distribute packets every week and also address the class as a whole using Zoom for about 50 minutes each day. But because they're not having an on-campus program, they've dropped the fees for their afternoon supervision because they're not providing that afternoon program. And he said, so far, most are pleased. So I'd like to to toss this question over to Kathy Dotson and ask her to tell us about their experience at Wilmington Christian. Yes, thank you. Exactly what um, Edward Earwood and Dr. Walton have said, we've experienced here in North Carolina as well. In our school, we didn't change the tuition at all for the K to 12, but every day groups of parents were coming in from preschool age, having been laid off or their jobs were at home now, and it was really putting them in a bind to come up with the $200 a week. We run right at 285 preschoolers, and so we watched it last week. We were in constant communication with the state and we charged last week, we charged this week, but by this week, so many had been laid off. Every day, it seemed like a different group was coming in. And so we sent out a survey on Tuesday, a Google survey, that gave them basically two options. It told them we were committed to our families, we wanted to keep them, we knew they were going through tough times. And in order to keep them, they just needed to tell us within 48 hours what their choice was. They could choose continue with child care for 200 a week, maybe because their parent was an essential employee, or they could opt to paying $25 a week um, if they were going to return the day, you know, as soon as we opened, whether that be right here on May 15th or whatever the date is, or June 1st when we start our summer session. And so that information all came in by last night. And so 85 have opted for like $200 a week and 200 for uh, 25 a week because we didn't even know like what Edward was saying. The state is begging us to have openings and take in new preschoolers. And you don't know what you can take in until you know kind of what your own people are doing. 
So this morning we were even surveying to make sure the 85 that are coming are considered essential employees. So in the survey, the parents were so thrilled. I mean, it was nothing but thank yous and you all are so kind to understand our need. And so it was an incredible, I guess, shot in the arm to us here for being able to meet the family's need, even though that is a huge financial burden or, you know, since we've dropped the price so low. Kathy, thank you for being very transparent and sharing those numbers with us because that helps us put a context to to what we're dealing with in this unprecedented time. I also want to tell our listeners uh, that Kathy has shared some of that information that that the folks at Wilmington have sent out, and I'm going to include that information in our show notes so schools could reference that. So, uh, Kathy, thanks for that information and for being very transparent. We we appreciate it. But let's let's Kathy move on to uh, another question, and that is, okay, how do we keep connections with these families? who maybe have uh, opted to keep their children at home because maybe they're out of work now? Are we sending packets? What are the things that we're doing to keep them engaged in learning? So help us understand what you're seeing at Wilmington Christian. Well, we've kind of taken the opportunity. We're very open enrollment, especially in our preschool area. And so we wanted to stay connected. And so our teachers have done the packets. We agree with what Dr. Walton said. It's kind of hard to charge if you're not supervising them but my teachers were like we still want to share bible time or we still want to send them home with their songs and their packets and so in the preschool they have had packets out here that the parents can pick up and the parents are thrilled to get them thanking like yesterday a dad said i need help with my phonics and so anyway the (laughs) teachers have um sent home we've really seen it's precious in the bible time because as a christian you can minister to your families through this difficult time when the teacher and who's left in the classroom is videoing with the kids at home and reviewing their scripture that they've learned that day or their Bible stories or their phonics. And so I've really been proud of, you know, your elementary, middle school, and high school people, they just take off on it. And those are your huge academics. But I have been just thoroughly impressed with the preschool and the opportunities, they're taking pictures of like their Bible cards and letting the kids tell the story to their parents. There's just some great um, godly ministering that you can do through this time. And that's what I would just encourage. It's two-minute little videos. It's one minute, a child telling what the story meant to them. That's permeating those homes, those, you know, all those 285 homes that are watching those little video clips. So that's what I would encourage schools to continue, even if it's just the teacher and you're closed, if the teacher will send home the Bible lesson, the whole family watches it in the preschool and in the elementary. They what can't do it on their own. Yeah, what an incredible opportunity for ministry. You said something very important. They were short videos, very short. I think you said two minutes. Is that correct? Yes, very short, <laughs> very short. The kids sing three songs. It's their Bible song. The next clip might be the whole class saying their Bible verse. The next clip, you know, that you send out at another time is the teacher retelling or telling the Bible story uh, or reviewing a phonics sound. We're, we're, you're known for your academics and your Christian preschools. You are. You're teaching them all how to read. And so the teachers, if they do well with this during this time, those families can't wait to get back to you. So it really keeps them. They just think you're the best ever and they'll be back as soon as your doors are open. 
Yeah, that is that is wonderful advice. And Kathy, just a question. I've been struggling with some of my phonics blends. So do you think <laughs> I can get on a couple of those videos? Yes. Um, those are tough. <laughs> All right, we'll make we'll make it happen. I'll have my people call your people and we'll see if we can make it happen. <laughs> Thank hey, you. Hey, and just one reminder, anything that you send home is a commercial. Anything for your school. And sometimes they get tired of hearing the adult or the administration. And when a three-year-old gets on there and says John 3.16, it's not only a commercial for the Lord's salvation, our way of life, and why we do what we do. They can reach a heart like nobody else. And so that's what has just been incredible to see, that part. Well, that is that is some very wonderful information. And I love it because we're emphasizing nurturing the relationship. Look, we're all experiencing a very difficult time. Many of our families are hurting. And by providing some sense of normalcy for our students as, as best as we can, we're strengthening that relationship. And it's just what you said. When, when we open our doors again and we've served our families well, like you just described, there's no doubt that they're going to want to come back and join us. So, Kathy, thank you for sharing that information because that's that's helpful. But let's go to uh, Steve uh, now. Steve, uh, we're thinking about some of this new legislation that's been passed, and uh, things are fluid. Things are changing. Our understanding is being refined about these things that have come to light. But we're mainly uh, here, we're talking about pre-K, so we're thinking about the provisions in the uh, Families First Coronavirus Response Act uh, so give us some more insight on how this might apply to our, our staff for our pre-Ks. Thanks, Matt. Uh, there are two main provisions to the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Uh, one of those provisions deals with emergency paid sick leave, and the other provision deals with emergency family and medical leave. So I will uh, address both of those, uh, and I'll just let everyone know we're not uh, talking today about uh, the CARES legislation that has been passed by the Senate and uh, is being considered by the House. So we are just really focusing on uh, the legislation Matt referred to, which is the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. Under the first provision, which talks about emergency paid sick leave, uh, an employer, a Christian school or a church must provide 80 hours of paid sick leave for the uh, for an employee who is under the following uh, six different uh, scenarios. The first one is that the employee is part uh, of a federal, a state or a local quarantine or isolation order. So this means that your local community or your state uh, has said that the employee cannot uh, go to work because they are part of an isolation order. Uh, it also applies to employees who have been advised by a healthcare provider to self-quarantine. Also applies to employees who are experiencing symptoms and are seeking a medical diagnosis on whether they have COVID-19 also applies to employees who are caring for an individual who is under a quarantine or isolation order or caring for an individual who has been advised by a health care provider to self-quarantine. 
Uh, also uh, applies to employees who are caring for a child whose school or daycare is closed or unavailable. Uh, also applies if the employee is, is uh, experiencing some, another similar condition uh, that has been specified by the Secretary of Health and Human Services. So really kind of two different categories. The employee himself or herself uh, is under quarantine and second kind of bigger category is an employee who is being forced to care for someone else who is under a quarantine or care for a child because their daycare is closed. So that's the first provision regarding um, sick leave. It must be 80 hours of paid sick leave. So that's, of course, two weeks, basically. Then the second provision expands family and medical leave. So what the second provision says is that you must also provide an additional 10 weeks of paid leave if the employee is unable to work uh, for one of the conditions that we've mentioned, that we've already mentioned. So altogether, an employee could get 12 weeks, three months, basically, of paid uh, sick leave if they have been impacted by COVID-19 or if they are caring for people uh, whose, or, or child whose uh, daycare has been closed. So as far as, uh, you know, how this works, we, we put this out in an AACS white paper. And so to, you can really get more details there, but I'll just kind of give you an overview. And the overview is that if the employee himself or herself is sick uh, and has experienced symptoms of COVID-19 or is under a federal isolation order, then they need to be paid at their regular rate up to $511 per day, and that is capped at, at uh, $5,110. That's under the um, 80 hours of paid sick leave. Mm -hmm. And then if they are caring for an individual, kind of that second big category, then they need to be paid at two-thirds of their regular rate, up to $200 per day for those first 10 days, and it's capped at $2,000. So uh, for the, and then for the remaining um, 10 weeks, it depends on, you know, which category they're in on how you would pay them. So again, I, I would suggest that you refer to the ACS white paper for the details on exactly um, how they need to be paid. I would like to uh, say this, a couple, couple quick things. First of all, this doesn't apply to employees who have voluntarily uh, not gone to work or to, uh, for instance, a pre-K, K-3, K-4 um, facility that has shut down voluntarily. So in other words, this needs to have been shut down because of a, an official isolation order uh, for this employee paid leave to kick in. That's the first thing I wanted to mention. And then the second thing I wanted to mention is this. The employers, the good news here is that the employers can recover the amounts that they are going to pay out under this emergency paid sick leave and the emergency family and medical leave. So the way that employers can recover the amounts that they are paying out is that they can withhold the amounts um, that they would normally pay out in FICA taxes. So the key here is to keep very good records um, 
even using timesheets, but have good payroll and liability accounting processes uh, to make sure that you know the exact amounts that have been paid out under these two different provisions of this federal legislation. Again, you can recover it either through withholding FICA taxes or uh, if, if the amounts that you would be paying out exceed the amounts that you would normally withhold under FICA taxes, then you can, what we're hearing right now is that you can get a refund check from the IRS. Um, in some things that I've been reading, the IRS promises that a refund will be processed quickly uh, when the credit is larger than the company's um, paying out for FICA taxes. So again, we don't know all of the details and process for exactly how that would work. But again, the good news is employers should be able to recover the amounts that they are paying out for uh, these different leave provisions, and you should be able to recover it up to 100%. Yeah, that's great information, Steve. And let me underscore the point of keeping very good records. I know I'm, I'm based in Texas, and we had some experience with Hurricane Harvey and uh, private schools participating in in uh, some type of programs like what we're describing, obviously not these specific programs, but the records that the schools kept were very key uh, to making sure that that the law was being followed. So we want to encourage you to do that. And of course, as we mentioned earlier, you know, um, these laws have just been passed. And so we're, we're wrapping our heads around them. And so we want to continue to encourage our schools to Read the, we read the white paper that we put out, uh, but also consult with other counsel in your uh, local area and, and seek help in those ways as well. Well, I, I do want to thank our panel for joining us today. I think this was very helpful information. So uh, Edward and Kathy and Steve, Dr. Walton, thank you uh, for jumping on the podcast with us today. As we close, I do want to let our listeners know that we are now uh, on Spotify. AACS Today is on Spotify and Stitcher. And yes, some of you have asked about uh, getting our program into Apple Podcasts, and we have applied for that. It does take a little bit of time to get approved and to get processed for that, but we have made application uh, for that. So thanks for joining us today for episode three of AACS Today. I hope that we answered some of your questions related to pre-K and just know that we will continue to be here for you and we'll be continue to be posting resources for you on our COVID-19 resources tab on the AACS website. Thanks again. Have a great day.